everyone. Remember last week when I threatened to tell you all of my thoughts on drug decriminalization and Paige was like, hell yeah, let's talk about harm reduction. That's what we're doing today. Congrats. Welcome. (laughs) Uh, This is Queer Halftime. My name is Becca. I use she, they pronouns. And I am Paige. I use they, them pronouns. Perfect. And yeah, so Paige, you've worked in like harm reduction and things. Um, we've talked about it a, very briefly, what that means. Um, but do you want to give yeah. us kind of a little intro? Yeah. So I would define harm reduction as any risky behavior that we can do things uh, safer. So for instance, um, drug use, um, if you're using intravenously, um, it's smart to go to a supervised consumption site so that you can be monitored in case of an overdose. Um, harm reduction also applies to things like sex work, where you can supply condoms or um, other means of minimizing risk of STDs or STIs or possibly uh, HIV and AIDS. Um, and harm reduction can also apply to mental health as well. Um, you can kind of know what doesn't doesn't trigger you and uh, in environments where you're able to limit your exposure to that kind of thing, um, where like you're knowledgeable and able to to limit the triggers for yourself yeah yeah so I see it as kind of meeting people where they're at right it's like okay absolutely not going to stop using overnight so how do we make this safer for you exactly totally Um, yeah and it requires this shift away from like thinking of people as like you know junkies or whatever and like becoming clean, which I use some heavy quotes there because I hate like the whole clean thing. Um, Exactly. I totally agree with you on that. (laughs) Yeah. So like becoming clean isn't like the be all end all. Um, It's more like keeping people alive and safe. Exactly. And I find that harm reduction too is the knowledge and the acceptance that not everybody's end game is being clean because for a lot of people, that's just, it's not a realistic um goal to have for some which is totally fine like like you said Becca meeting people where they're at and meeting them where their goals will end up being yeah and like because there are some people where drugs are an escape right so unless you address poverty mental health chronic pain things like that um, houselessness like they aren't going to be able to be in a position even if they want you know, exactly. It's going to be incredibly hard without addressing the reasons that they need to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it unfortunately isn't easy to address all of those issues at once. Yeah. Right. And um, of course there's always the, you need the public will to do things. And I feel like drug users, sex workers, like those kind of people that are sort of on the margins of society often don't have a lot of public will behind them for supporting them. So that's basically harm reduction. I was about to ask if anyone had questions, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm still in like presentation mode in the comments. If you do, (laughs) I feel that big time. Uh, I was doing a focus group last (laughs) night. So I'm like, yeah, let's dive deeper into that. (laughs) Yeah, right. I did my GSA conference the other night and same thing. <laughs> Hopefully it went so, so well. It did. It was awesome. I had a Amazing. really good turnout as well, which is awesome. Yeah. And then so I also mentioned decriminalization, right? 
And so there is a difference between decriminalization and legalization. Yep. Which is kind of like a gray area. Do you want to explain that or? Why don't you explain this one? Because I explained harm reduction. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So the way I see it, decriminalization is like, you're not going to go to jail for this thing because it's not a crime. Whereas legalization is like, hell yeah, let's do it. I'm talking a lot with my hands today. If you're watching the video, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Basically the big argument for drug decriminalization is that the war on drugs has not worked straight up has not worked. Um, ever people are dying more (laughs) than they were when it started. Uh, and that's a phenomenon that I was introduced recently, um, called the like iron law of prohibition. And it's basically like the harder the enforcement, the harder the drugs. So we saw it with, um, alcohol prohibition in like the 1920s where people went from like beer and wine to whiskey and moonshine and like liquor, right and we see it with drugs right we had opium early on and then morphine heroin china white fentanyl carfentanyl like it keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger basically because the people who produce it and deal it can get more bang for their buck right you can move more more of it um you can sell it for higher amounts like basically by making it more potent you can make more money with the same amount the same like physical amount then, you know, if you had like a kilo of opium versus carfentanil, right? One of those is significantly more <laughs> expensive than the other, right? So we keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger drugs coming. And that's kind of where we're seeing this opioid like overdose epidemic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So from Al Capone to current drug dealers, everybody's like, all right, if I can't sell this beer, I'm going to sell something significantly more potent. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, is with increasing potency, um, it becomes more addictive. And so you're getting repeats a lot, um, a lot more frequently and a lot more often. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, using heroin is a lot different than going to like an opium den, right? Um, definitely yeah it wasn't like it wasn't not addictive but there were people who used it a little bit more casually whereas now we see people who like you know I was listening to uh shout out to the crackdown podcast which is made by uh drug users out in Vancouver okay cool um and they were talking about like using meth to have the energy to get money for heroin Oh, wow. Like meth was just a tool. Yeah. Right. So like, that's how bad the heroin addiction was. Absolutely. And then you bring in carfentanil and norcarfentanil and all of the. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? Uh, My words aren't coming to my mouth right now, but. (laughs) For sure. And the potency increase. Speaking of fentanyl, first off, the whole rainbow fentanyl thing was wild actually the rainbow the only, i have I'm not familiar there with was that. this big scare around halloween that fentanyl was being made all colorful to sell to children i'm like first of all children don't have money right 
<laughs> they people are not a are, good customer base. People are not going to give your children fentanyl for free. <laughs> no, they're not going to do it. They're just not. Uh, <laughs> it's not like in the movies where it's like, oh, the first one's on the drug dealer. Like, they want yeah, like, exactly. And your kid's $5 allowance for mowing the lawn is not going to cut it. <laughs> but like, it was... There was the arguments were saying that like oh it was being made colorful just to um, differentiate it from like prescription medications because it looks very similar when it's pressed into pill form, right? Right, and also like I as an adult would buy rainbow drugs over non-colorful drugs, right? I'm not a drug user, but I mean if I were, I could see the appeal. <laughs> yeah right i i buy rainbow stuff over plain stuff all the time yeah right because i'm queer but <laughs> <laughs> i wish my prescribed also, medications came like that that would be way more fun taking right? them <laughs> right like a little smarties and you like sort them by color oh my god yeah i wish <laughs> science make it happen <laughs> yeah also like people drugging halloween candy has only happened like a small, small handful of times. And most of those were unintentional. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can only think of one that I found where someone intentionally drug candy and it was his own kid's candy. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, it's very, very rare. If, like, calls coming from inside the house, uh, people yeah. aren't going to drug your kid's candy. They're not going to no, exactly. waste drugs. It's just not going to happen. They're expensive. It's yeah. Um, there was one I read like somebody accidentally gave out like um, weed laced stuff because they had like mixed up their stuff with the stuff they were handing out. But that was also like I think a couple exactly. Of days ago. Yeah, it's it's not gonna happen. <laughs> I'm like a sneeze waiting to come out. Like oh, this is a feeling. I <gasps> I know. Yeah, <laughs> you got this, friend. <laughs> Shove it down like my emotions. <laughs> um the other thing about fentanyl that i find really interesting is like the fear mongering like it is turned into this huge big baddie um to the point where like you get all these stories of police officers getting like a tiny little bit on their hands and then thinking they're having an overdose when they're actually having a panic attack they're like oh i started sweating and my heart was racing i'm like babe that's the opposite of what fentanyl would do you're just anxious. I was actually just about to bring that up. Um, that was a really big thing. I started working at an opiate addictions clinic back in 2016. Um, and that was kind of like <clears throat> a little bit before, like it was still obviously an epidemic, but it was kind of right as fentanyl was starting to be vague and like carfentanil and norcarfentanil hadn't really like come out yet. And I actually, one of the physicians that I worked with, um, he wrote an entire like journal on like how that's not a thing. And he was like interviewed by Edmund, like the, one of the news um, places in Edmonton. I don't, I think it was CTV. Um, and okay. he was basically just like, fuck all cops. Like, this isn't going to be a thing that happens. Like you're all idiots. And he just like popped off. And I remember going to work the next day after that had like come out. And I was like, you are amazing. Like you are my new favorite person. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah. Cause like the problem with fentanyl and heroin and all those isn't that they make their, your heart race. It's the opposite. 
they make it beat so slowly that it fucking stops. Exactly. Yeah. That's the literal complete opposite. Like, yeah, it doesn't happen. That's not over. If you get some fentanyl or some carfentanil or some norcarfentanil on your hands, you're not going to overdose. Just go wash your hands and maybe have a sip of water to calm down your panic attack because you're being an idiot and it's not going to (laughs) happen. I have very strong feelings about this. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Because it can't be absorbed through skin unless you have like an open wound. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Like they do make fentanyl patches like in the medical field, but it is so hard to do. Exactly. No one's going to just do that for funsies. Right? Nobody's going to just like, yeah, it's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. And so like, it's kind of all this stuff, this like increasing potency and this increasing danger and things uh, is why people are calling for safe supply. Definitely. Which has made the news in Canada the last little bit because fucking Pierre Polyev was like talking about how safe supply isn't going to work and it's just a bunch of people wanting drugs. Well, and so that's something that is interesting to me as well is because in my span of working for the opioid addictions clinic that I did, I worked there for about four years the first time I worked there. And then I worked there for a second time for about a year. Um, And there were a couple years gap in between those two instances. Um, And in the second time that I came back for a year, I, I think it was like 2020 or 2021. Um, But prior to that, there was just methadone and suboxone as um, opiate Mm -hmm. agonist treatments. Um, Are you familiar with either? You want to just explain? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I am, but just for like our Our listeners. listeners, Yeah. What is opium agonist? Yeah. So methadone is a oral um, analgesic. Um, It is sometimes used to treat chronic pain as well, but primarily it's used to treat opiate addictions. Um, You start off with a very small dose and it is titrated up every three days um, with all of the um, epidemic happening. There's kind of been like some more lax rules on the titration of methadone going on. And so I'm not completely up to date with that. Um, but it's like I said, it's a, it's a liquid it's mixed with tang typically. Um, and you just, you take it every day. Whereas Suboxone is, it's, also an opiate agonist treatment medication, um, but you dissolve it under your tongue and it's a combination of uh, norbuprenorphine and um, nalo- it's not naloxone. It's something very similar to naloxone though. So it essentially it okay. blocks the uh, receptor in your brain. So even if you use, you won't get high. Um, so those were the mm-hmm. two main ones. And then when I went back for the year that I went back for in it must have been 2020. Um, there was a new medication they were using as well called SROM, which stands for slow release oral morphine. Um, and that was something that like you had to go in every day for, you had to go and like have the pharmacist witness your dose and all of that kind of thing, because there was a lot more of a risk of, um, like diverting your dose to someone else. Um, and so and it's for, is methadone similar? Like, I think you have to go in every day. So it, depend- or it depends for methadone. Um, so it depends okay. on how long it takes to get you to a stable dose typically. Um, and then along with reassuring urine tests and a stable dose, then you can advance to having something called carries, which are where like 
you go in one day and get a dose for the next day and then you go in the next day and get etc or you can go in once a week um it depends on your level of stability from the last time i was working there um and then same with suboxone but with suboxone carries are able to be um, achieved a lot quicker than methadone because the stabilization period is a lot shorter. The only thing with suboxone is you have to be in active withdrawal to start taking it. Um, and then once you're mm-hmm. on a stable dose, like obviously because it's blocking the receptors in your brain, you can't get high off of it. So it's uh, so it seems like kind of two different methods, like one to keep you from getting high and one to keep you from exactly. going into withdrawal. Yeah, interesting. I was going to say drugs are fascinating, but I mean, they are, but (laughs) they are also not encouraging drug use on this channel. (laughs) No, much like we said last time, um, same with marijuana, like wait till your brain is done developing. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, cat. (laughs) Okay. You never have to apologize for cats. Um, so we mentioned naloxone Yes. in your little spiel there. So naloxone. Yeah, I believe Narcan is um, the brand name that people might have heard. Yeah, Naloxone, Narcan. um, I think those are the only two kind of names that goes by. Yeah, I think because Naloxone is the generic and then Narcan is the like branded like nasal spray, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you can pick up Naloxone at any pharmacy. You don't have to. At least for our Canadian listeners. You don't have to provide your personal information as well. You can just go and pick it up under... Like the pharmacy legally doesn't require your name to dispense you um, naloxone. Yeah. Yeah. And it um, is kind of amazing because it acts a little bit like an EpiPen does for uh, anaphylactic reactions. Um, It basically, if somebody is overdosing on an opiate and it's not going to work for like uppers, um, it basically reverses it long enough to get them to a hospital ideally exactly the importance of going to the hospital after narcan has been delivered is extremely important as well um narcan is not just a one and done like it will reverse the overdose it will like you said becca get you time to get to a hospital but it's important to go to hospital because the narcan will wear off before the opiates do so it's very possible and very likely if you don't go to the hospital that you will re-overdose And so when you go to the hospital following a drug overdose, um, they'll put you on a Narcan drip. And so that is a way that they can kind of like monitor and make sure that you don't slip back into an overdose. And if you are ever at a party or something and you take something and you need to call an ambulance, please be honest with the EMS. So there's something called the Good Samaritan law, I think it is. and yep. you legally cannot get in trouble for calling 911 to respond to an overdose, uh, whether or not you have drugs on yeah. you, whether or not there are drugs in the environment, just be forthcoming, be honest, because that's going to be the way that they're able to help you most. Um, and that yeah. is just super important. Also, if you're going to, if you know that you're going to be going to a party or anything like that, if you're a substance user, whenever possible, and I realize and recognize that it's not always possible to do so, but when it is, please, please, please test your drugs because that is so important. Um, it's very 
and don't use don't alone. use alone test your drugs have narcan or know where narcan is where you are um personally whenever i go to parties i just i bring narcan just in case um and there have been instances where i have been at a party um and somebody's overdosed and if i had not had that narcan kit with me who knows what would have happened so mm-hmm. yeah i've thankfully never had to use mine but the other really nice thing about naloxone is even if they aren't overdosing, nothing bad will happen if you give it to someone who is not overdosing. Exactly. Yeah, it has no other effects. So if you are administered uh, naloxone and you don't have opiates in your system, it literally just won't do anything. Yeah, like we could inject some right now and nothing would happen. We could keep doing the podcast. Exactly. Yeah, I could go get some from underneath my bathroom sink and give you a show how right now I'm not going to because I don't like giving myself needles, but I could and nothing would happen. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Like I don't mind needles, but I don't want to give myself them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I can tolerate needles. I just don't like giving them to myself. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which is why it's sorry. I was just going to say that's why it's important to not use alone because if you don't like giving yourself needles, um, if you are actively overdosing and physically cannot give yourself naloxone, like there are so many reasons that you can use a harm reduction based model um, and and still use your drugs. There's also some apps that have been coming out too for people who, um, you know, don't have anyone with them when they use where you can be like, have like an operator on the phone to just kind of chill there um who can like listen and totally. call 911 if you do start to overdose um or you can just chat with them while you are like um and you can say like yeah my I've also home, actually... they have naloxone like this is their phone number like that kind of thing mm-hmm. um I've also been in instances um well I haven't been in instances personally but I've heard of people being in instances where they've called access 24 oh, yeah. 7 um and and they've told them hey i'm using a loan this is where i live this is my like this is all of my information um and then if they stop responding then access 24 7 will call 911 for them yeah so there's lots of ways to do things more safely exactly yeah Yeah, and like safe injection sites get a lot of press right because nobody everybody's like I don't want them near my house. I don't want, you know, we don't want to be encouraging drug use, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you just go there to use the drugs you already have. And then there are medically trained people. And one thing that I'm really fond of as well is a saying that goes something along the lines of, if there's not a supervised consumption site in your neighborhood, there's likely already several unsafe consumption sites there. Yeah. it's already happening in your backyard it's already happening in your neighborhood you just don't necessarily see it yeah you go in you get clean paraphernalia do your drugs Mm -hmm. if something happens there's someone there with the moxone who's trained there have been no that i have found there have been no deaths at a safe injection site absolutely zero having worked at a safe consumption site in this in the past Um, That was one statistic that I really loved throwing in people's faces is um, like, oh, I completely forgot where I was going with that sentence. (laughs) So there's no deaths? Yes, there's no deaths. Absolutely zero deaths. Um, Safe consumption site wide. 
there have literally been no deaths. Yeah. They they don't do any harm. They only do good. <laughs> they do harm reduction. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And there's like so cheesy. I love it. <laughs> I know. Being cheesy about drugs. I did though. At Halloween, there was like a couple podcasts I listened to did like big historical rundowns of all the like poisonings linked to Halloween candy. Oh wow. And it was very short. It was a very short list. Yeah, I would imagine so. Because <laughs> like this is so off topic, but I remember when I was young, it was like razor blades. Oh my god, yes. That was the thing. It's like people putting like razor blades or like full-on needles. Yeah. Or like pins and stuff and things. Did you ever like have that as a kid? Like, did you ever find anything like that? Oh god, no, no one did. Right? Nobody did. The way the way <laughs> that my parents would check the Halloween candy was they would check if there was like air inside of the packaging of the little candy bar so like because you can feel whether or not there's air inside of it because once it's been open like there's no more air inside of it so that's how they would check my halloween candy but they would check whether or not there was air in it and if there wasn't then they would just throw it out which was very devastating to me but allowed um, to eat unwrapped stuff because sometimes people would give out like baked goods at the time yeah um so we just didn't eat unwrapped stuff and then like we would just check like you know you want to have a kit kat you would just double check that the packaging was whole exactly yeah yeah I feel like that's still something people do is like no baked goods oh I would imagine so yeah like I can appreciate the sentiment but like read the room (laughs) (laughs) read the room um I also remember like my mom was talking about uh people giving out apples oh yeah and that was the big thing is people like people were terrified they were gonna like slip a razor blade in an apple right which again never happened but at the same time like even if you just took a quick look at an apple you could very easily see if there was a mark that a razor blade went into well that's the whole thing with hysteria though is like so much hysteria once you take a minute to think about it you're like this is ridiculous seriously yeah I, uh, I had a friend this past Halloween who gave out potatoes. Like, it was an option. They had, like, small-sized candy bars and big-sized oh, candy bars. And they had, like, potatoes. a five-pound a five bag of potatoes or something like that. And by the end of the night, their potato bag was empty because all of the kids took fucking potatoes. <laughs> there is a certain was- age where kids will 100% take potatoes over here right exactly like imagine going home to your parents and being like look what i got i got a potato and then being like what the fuck (laughs) yeah (laughs) shout out to cheyenne seriously (laughs) yeah yeah that's yeah or like did you ever get people giving out small coins no never like apparently pennies was a thing which again like I'm a little too young to for that to have happened but like I guess people used to give out like bags of pennies and shit weird I feel like Halloween can be like a really good time for people with just like extra crap laying around to just like give away to kids you know also to our American listeners do y'all not give out little mini bags of chips is that not a thing there interesting Cause like I saw a couple Americans posting that like one of them had gotten a bag and they were like, what, what? <laughs> like they were so confused. I was like, what are you talking about? That's like half your bag is going to be little yeah, things of right? chips. Like, so to our American friends, let us know, please. Why no chips? 
what is going on in America? <laughs> a question we ask so often. Literally every day. <laughs> Although to be fair, you know, lately you can also ask what the hell is going on in Alberta. So yeah, fair. exactly. What the hell is going on in the world? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but no like harm reduction I don't know I can't like say it enough it's so important back when I was working because for a while in between the times I worked at the addictions clinic I worked at I worked at Ball Macaulay Health Center um, and for those who right. are unfamiliar it is a health center specifically for unhoused individuals who don't have any form of photo ID or their health care card um so they physically and literally cannot go anywhere else in Edmonton to get um to get medical services if they had a photo ID or their healthcare card they they were able to go to another clinic so they wouldn't be accepted at that clinic uh but that clinic also had a safe consumption site in the basement and so something that we did fairly frequently there was something we called stair checks because there were three floors to the um building itself and so people would always go and just like run down the stairs and then up the stairs and then to the next set of stairs and the same thing. Um, and it was like my first week there. I hadn't even had my Narcan training yet. I was doing a stair check and it was just one of those days where I was like, you know what? I need to bring a Narcan kit with me. And thank God I did because as I was coming down the stairs that you would go down to go to the safe consumption site, there was somebody actively overdosing there. And I was like, oh shit. Um, thankfully I brought that Narcan kit and I was able to administer Narcan to them and like, kind of like half drag them to the consumption site to be like, I need help. Cause I didn't want to leave them alone to get help. Um, and yeah. it was just like, I hadn't had any training for like what I should have done in an event like that. And they almost got a little bit mad at me because they were like, well, you should have got help first. And I was like, well, I didn't know how long they had been overdosing. So that was my argument. I was like, had I left them for a minute or two, I don't know what process they were at in their overdose. And that could have literally meant life or death. Um, And so like, even if you're not a substance user, like I frequent White Avenue a lot, which is a an avenue in Edmonton that is basically just like a strip of bars and piercing shops and tattoo shops and like uh, local vendors and that kind of thing. Um, and formerly street preachers. Oh, God. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Occasionally we're able to kick them out, though. Yeah, but like... <laughs> being on white avenue there have even been instances where i've run into people that i know from like my past work experience where on the good days i can be like oh hey how's it going like how is everything how have you been like that connection is still kind of there to an extent like not in an inappropriate way just like a friendly way like yeah it's nice to be able to touch base with them but there have been instances where i have found one of them like overdosing on like of substreets of I hope you didn't hear that that was the cat pulling the entire rod down okay we did it's Uh, all good (laughs) um and there would be times that that would happen where I would be like okay like I need to give you Narcan and like I would give them Narcan and then call 911 and then the next day they would show up at work and be like yeah I'm all good like I don't know what happened yesterday and I was like you overdosed on fucking White Avenue and I was I happened to be walking by with my Narcan kit so I Narcaned you and called 911 yeah. and sent you to the hospital and they were like oh yeah I was in the hospital last night 
And it was just like, what? Okay. So when you said stair checks, I didn't realize you meant like checking the stairs for people overdosing. I thought you meant as like, kind of like, you know, how when people get pulled over for drunk driving, they'll have, have to like do a test of some sort. Oh, I thought it meant like, I was like, do you make people walk up and down the stairs after doing drugs? That's so mean. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. <laughs> Usually it was just to like make sure that there was nobody in the stairs like using or just like loitering Which makes there. Which more sense because, than what I thought. Yeah, because like only staff members had keys to the stairwells. But sometimes people oh, okay. would like sneak in behind a staff member to be like, I'm going to use here, blah, 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 like a few guys. And it's like, no. But it was also something that was very interesting about working there was um we did have two public not like um non-gendered washrooms for people to use however in these washrooms we had black lights which was a source of contention for many people um and we had black lights in the bathrooms because you can't see your veins in black light so people couldn't people couldn't lock themselves in the bathroom to use and then overdose and then have that be a whole thing i feel like a black light in a bathroom would be fucking disgusting yeah as as the person who occasionally had to go in and like clean up incidences um yeah it was nasty usually usually i got away without having to do that because the nurses are trained in like what to do for like um body waste removal and i wasn't necessarily um, so like I said, I could usually kind of get away from it, get out of it, but not always. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's really ingenious though. Exactly. Yeah. We, I mean, I was the person who worked the front desk like 9.9 days out of 10. And uh, it, yeah, people complained about it a lot. They were like, well, I'm not a drug user. Turn the lights on. And I'm like, I won't remember to turn them back off after I turn them on for you. So I'm just not going to. And they were like, I don't know, fuck you. And I was like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) A direct quote. No. (laughs) All people complaining sound like that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Retail, addiction sites, safe consumption sites. Anybody who complains sounds exactly like that. (laughs) Yeah. And we don't listen to you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no not it just it goes right over our head it's like yeah okay you said that but I don't really care <laughs> one of my cousins posted the other day that they got to have that I am the manager moment oh I love that yes oh yes I uh I worked at a bookstore when I was in high school and I was one of the key holders there um and so when my manager wasn't there, I was the manager in freaking high school. I don't know how that happened. Um, but yeah, I loved those moments when people were like, I want to speak to your manager. And I was like, I am the manager. So kudos to your cousin because those moments are the best. They're incredible. I got to have a couple of them. Um, and then there was one when I worked at the gym, people would figure out to ask for the owner. Ah, uh, smart like well he's at Sherwood Park so you're SOL yeah exactly good luck have fun see you later (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah gotta love it I know what else do what are your other thoughts anything 
I have so many thoughts on this topic. <laughs> I know, right? It's like just herding them into like a coherent. And that's where I'm struggling is trying to get my brain to like form into a coherent thought pattern is just like it's yeah. not happening. Um <laughs> but no, it's just like harm reduction is so important. Like people are people. It's really important, I think, to stress what you said earlier on was that it's a it's really important to meet people where they are at. Um, not everybody is going to be at the same stage in recovery. Not everybody is going to be willing or able to engage in recovery. Um, and it's just it's figuring out what people want out of the healthcare or um, safe consumption sites that they're utilizing. Um, and so I think health or harm reduction is healthcare. I think that more people need to recognize that. Um, and I will fight anybody who says otherwise because it's just, it's so important. Yeah. And like, you don't need to be afraid of drug users. Just like you don't need to be Absolutely afraid of houseless not. people or everybody is yeah. a person and we should treat them all as so. Um, one thing that I do when I'm on white Avenue is unfortunately frequently, um, you see people who are like asleep on the ground or you see people who are wandering without shoes on or they're not like dressed appropriately. And so when I can and when I'm able, I'll always try and check in on those people. And I mean, like even people who look like they're being totally like they're totally fine. I'll be like, hey, how's it going? You know, just like be that friendly person on on the avenue, like chatting to whoever I pass by. But especially yeah. those who who you can tell have some extenuating factors going on it's it's important to just like stop for a second and be like hey what like are you good you know and and it's that two second question that can absolutely change a person's day because so often it's like it's so frowned upon and like they're cast out by society which is just absolutely heartbreaking to me and it's something that my mom taught me from a very young age to be very comfortable around unhoused individuals. Um, and so one thing that she taught me when I was a kid and she like, obviously she didn't make me do this as a kid, but she would, whenever we would see people out like asking for change and stuff like that, or just like walking past them, she would be like, I don't have anything to offer you, but can I give you a hug? And like, usually that would just like completely make or break somebody's day. And the number of times that I can remember her asking that to somebody and then just like breaking down in tears was just like, it was so heartbreaking, but also heartwarming at the same time, because like, it's, even if you feel like you have nothing to offer, you can offer a hug. You can offer a friendly person to chat with for a few minutes. Like there are other things that you can do besides giving people money. Um, yeah. And that's, that's just treating them like the human that they are. Well, and like money doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like five, tens, twenties, like sometimes it's just change for the bus. Like when I oh, lived totally. in Kelowna, I always had extra cause I was in university. So I just got a bus pass through my student fees. Yeah. Um, but I would carry, you know, like a couple toonies or whatever in my pocket. And like, totally. also people are like, I've had some hilarious interactions. There are, like, yeah, there are I gave ones. this one woman money for the bus and she wished me a happy Halloween. Um, it was April. 
I don't know if she was just a little bit out of it or if it was a comment on what I was wearing, but either way, she was very, very funny. Um, Shout out. Or like I had this one woman, I was walking from buying groceries and she she didn't even ask me for anything. She was like, oh, look at you, feel yourself strapped in the sunshine. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. I, um, I was in Montreal this past May with uh, visiting my little brother who lives there going to fashion school, as some of you may know from previous podcast episode. Um, and uh, we were walking past this one lady who was just sitting on the stairs outside of a building um, and she was asking for a uh, change for the bus. But there was a huge language barrier between her, my brother, and myself. And in that order is the order of how well we speak French. So this lady was, <laughs> she was a French speaker. My brother mm. has lived there for almost two years now, but isn't um, fluent quite yet. And then there's me who knows how to say like, thank you and hello and yes. And that's like the extent of my French knowledge. Um, and With it was May. Alberta accents. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it was May. And I was wearing, like, just, like, these loose baggy pants with a crop top. And so a lot of my tattoos were exposed. And she made me show her every single exposed tattoo that I had. Um, And she was like, oh, oh, so cool, so cool. And then at the end of it, she was like, too many. And then just, like, turned around and walked away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, okay. (laughs) it was absolutely hilarious um yeah I love people (laughs) I had a roommate give me shit once about giving an unhoused person um bus change no way because she was like hey you know I need to get to the shelter before they fill up yeah Um, do you have like two bucks I was like yeah absolutely you know because it was like it was December and like even in the Okanagan, it doesn't get super cold, but it was still like minus eighteen. And it's like still cold deep enough. Snow and like windy, right? So like if you're out there, so yeah, I gave her. And then my roommate was like, "She's just gonna use it to buy alcohol." I was like, "She's not gonna use a toonie. She can't buy anything with a toonie." Also, even if she does, she's an adult. Exactly. I don't give a fuck what she spends the money on. She can do whatever she wants. She's a grown up. It's fine. Yeah. Um. Usually, what I do is um instead of carrying change just because like I'm so bad with spending change like when I go I'm obsessed with having drinks everywhere that I go not like alcoholic drinks just like I'm the I'm the ADHD person who needs a coffee and a juice and a water and then I'm content um and so like I have a bus pass um but I'll buy bus tickets like usually once or twice a month and then just like if anybody asks me for change for the bus or anything like that or even if they just ask me for change I'm like I don't have any but I have a bus ticket if you could use it and then like give them a couple of bus tickets so that they can get around to wherever they need to be and that way too like they don't have to worry about like oh I don't have the exact change because like when I was in Montreal when you put the change in the dispenser, it actually counts how much change you put in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they can tell whether or not you're paying the full amount or if you're trying to sneak by without it. Um, Yeah. And I'm very happy that Edmonton has not introduced that yet, knock on wood. Um, But, yeah, it's just, like, it's the little things that go a really long way for people who are are struggling in different ways. And even just – Even if it – just like if there's nothing more even if it's just 
stopping and chatting with them for a few minutes to ask like how's your day going like what are you up to like do you have somewhere to go after this like just having that conversation with people can really make such a difference too it doesn't have to be about money it doesn't have to be about worrying where they're going to spend your money like it can just be that wholesome interaction of like I don't have anything to offer right now but how are you because how often are people um who are unhoused and typically like a little bit more uh, grungy kind of looking, not in a like judgy way, but like, it's just a lot of them don't get treated like humans. And that's really, really sad to me. Um, Well, and that's the thing, right? Like you get these arguments for social safety nets or even like universal basic income or like whatever. And they're like, what you think everyone should get a house you think everyone should get food what next free education and yeah I'm like, yes literally actually. all of it all <laughs> of it please because people shouldn't have to like earn their survival exactly yeah it should just like these we, are the basic necessities we aren't hunter-gatherers seriously anymore. like we have the resources exactly yeah no 100 and we have um, it's it's like that saying that I see all the time on social media. It's like no seconds until everybody has firsts, but for housing. And it's like, yeah, yeah absolutely that. Well, and like I say, we aren't hunter gatherers anymore. But like even hunter gatherers, we have so much evidence of them caring for totally. disabled people, for the elderly, like for people who would not be able to contribute. Again, quotes to like getting food right because we understood even then that people offer they have so much more to offer and are worth so much more than what they can contribute exactly no I I totally know what you mean and I totally agree yeah this was a little all over the place but any final thoughts from you Paige I think we've pretty much covered everything that I wanted to cover honestly what about you any any final final remarks or last minute thoughts I just loved, there was some American politician that was talking about the arguments to defund the police. And he said something about like, what what are you going to do when that crackhead is harassing you? And then all these people started posting stories about how crackheads helped them more than police ever had. Totally. Absolutely. Like these like young teenagers who were being harassed at a bus stop and the local crackhead that they talked to and saw every morning was like, hey, like leave them alone or we're going to have a problem. Oh my gosh. I love it. I think one one important thing too that I want to mention is um when referring and that's I was using exactly. the language that so they this used, is just yes, one no, thing that I do want point. to point out and bring up is person-centered language so instead of saying oh that crackhead say oh that person who may be under the influence or oh that person who uses heroin or um that person who uses cocaine or that person who smokes meth it's the person and then the substance. It's not the substance and then the person, because at yeah. the end of the day, the person is far more important than whatever substances that they may be using. Well, it's even things like drug users versus addicts or junkies or like more stigmatized language. Absolutely. But that was yeah. a good point. I, I felt like halfway I, through about saying something and then you started talking. I was like, oh, I'll wait for Paige. And I was like, oh, they addressed it anyway. Bing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same page. I feel like we do that a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly it's just it's the little things that really go a long way yeah but yeah so that was nice to see is all these people talking about like their local you know unhoused 
drug user being like, actually, mm-hmm. they're wonderful exactly. people. Stop being mean to them and actually seriously, give yeah. Them well, and even like when I see police with somebody who may be under the influence of substances, I will straight up go up to that person like I'm a friend of theirs and just be like, oh, hey, are you okay? Like, what happened? Um, and just like feign innocence so that the police know that like there's somebody else there um, who knows this person, even though I don't. Um, yeah. But like to give that impression of like, oh, this other person who looks like they're maybe a little bit more stable um, is here with this person and they clearly know each other, even though we don't. Um, just to like kind of make sure that because I don't trust police at all. Um, I like plain and simple straight up I, just, I had no, no idea I know right what a shocker um <laughs> and so like it really is just like those little things that you can do um that well, please don't make call the world cops of on difference. Unhoused people I will find you and I will <laughs> fight you and I'm not joking well because like, there's that... so many stories when they go through like tent cities and things of throwing out prescriptions IDs breaking like mobility aids and things and like we can't address houselessness with policing and like if you're like oh but you know it's like here in Edmonton it can legitimately be like minus 40 celsius plus a wind chill in the winter but like there are shelters who run buses right you just call the number they say hey there's a person you know outside can you come pick them up exactly hope mission van shout out (laughs) yeah i couldn't remember which of them did it but yes hope mission yeah yeah definitely i'm pretty sure a couple of other ones do it as well but i, I can't recall oh yeah i can see because i think they have that 211 or something right it was one of those numbers but yeah something along those lines but yeah those are our many yeah. thoughts i'm sure we'll think of more afterwards uh oh absolutely there will definitely be a part two to this eventually <laughs> at some point <laughs> I'm sure there will. Uh, Do you have Queer Joy, Paige? I do have a Queer Joy, and I'm very excited to share my Queer Joy this week. Um, So my Queer Joy is I got a second part-time job, which I am absolutely ecstatic about. Um, So I start on Monday, and it's with an organization called the Youth Restorative Action Project. And so we work with youth who are involved in the criminal justice system, and we try and focus more on restorative justice. Um, So it'll be a lot of um, laws and advocating and organizing panels and files and all of that good stuff. Um, But I am absolutely ecstatic, and I cannot wait to start. Um, I will still be at Out Loud. I'm not going anywhere. My out, out loud is my number one priority. I love y'all so much. Um, but I'm very excited that I have a second job because bills. <laughs> I feel that. And being, and being a student for the past year, it's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, that, that would be my career joy. And it was funny, actually. I got the phone call to be offered that job exactly four weeks after my graduation. So like... Nice. A month post-grad, I have two jobs that I'm stoked about. I am, yeah. In your field, like, killing Exactly. Queer Joy 101. Yeah. (laughs) What about you, Becca? What's your Queer Joy this week? I had two and then I thought, or I had one and then I thought of another one. Um, Oh, let's hear them both. So the one that I was reminded of is actually because you got that call when we were tabling at the Telus World of Science, um, which I had not been to in a very long time. And as 
the Outloud team. And probably most of you know by now, I'm a huge dork. Um, so we were in the space exhibit and I was running around like a five-year-old, like Paige can attest to this. I kept leaving the table to go look at. And confirm. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> we were also in the area that they called the command center. So like. It was extremely cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was very cool. And now I'm dragging my family there. Like. I love for, it. For like our Christmas outing thing. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So I'm incredible. Go. Um, also, apparently, you know how they used to have the body exhibit? Yeah. With like all the body. So one of my besties bought the fucking tongue. No way. It's like the size of a table. Yeah. They and their um, like spouse and uh, roommates all teamed up because it was all an auction, right? And they were interviewed on CTV and this fucking dingus was quoted as saying, we are the tongue keepers now. <laughs> I'm like, I love you so much. Um, <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. But yeah, now they have what? it in the living room. They play cards on it. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Like, I don't even know what to say to that. That is so fucking cool. <laughs> yes, that was extremely funny. Uh, very on brand. And then the other one was we have, we started a second youth d group and they're all like 10 and 11 years old. And they were like, I was in a meeting in my office and I could hear this screaming and shrieks of joy and banging around. And I was like, oh my God, what are they doing? And I walked in and there was like one lying on the floor, one standing up on our picnic table. Like they were acting things out and they were so into it and having so much fun. And it just made me very joyful. Oh my god, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shout out to our youth in D&D. And shout out to you for facilitating it, of course. <laughs> okay. Amazing. It was very fun. Uh, yeah, so thank you everybody for joining us for our drug talk. Um, we will see you next week. Be kind to yourself and others. Uh, bye. bye, everyone. Bye.